What an incredible time, an exhilarating time to be a Christian in the United States of America. That's my context in the USA. Uh, Some of you are in different parts of the world, but this is an amazing time to be a Jesus follower here in the USA. Um, We are entering in, we have entered in, and are going more deeply into um, a season that will, I believe, um, it's not going back to what it was. What am I talking about? I'm talking about culturally, I'm talking about politically, I'm talking about economically, I'm talking about socially. It's not going to go back to the way it was. There have been for a few years, uh, probably even before COVID hit United States, uh, a bunch of Christians waiting for cultural Christianity to return. Where What I mean by that is where everybody in the culture favorably looked upon biblical Christianity. It was a part of our culture. It was a part of our society. You could find traces of it in just about every segment of society. And it was very easy to be a Christian um, in the United States of America. And it, that those days are gone. Um, and again, for those of you that are living in other parts of the world where there is actual persecution, there is actual, um, you know, oppression, suppression, um, please forgive me. I'm not comparing American Christianity to anything that's happening in third world countries or the Middle East or places where people are really, truly persecuted. Uh, that has not hit here yet. But the context in which we, all of you listening, myself, um, context we've been in, engaged in in Christianity has been very, very easy. It's been very conducive in America to be a Christian. And those days are over. Now, you have a choice right there in that moment to decide how you're going to react to a statement like that. Um, one, you can blow it off. You can just say, nah, Jeff's just one of those weird Christians that, you know, conspiracy theorist and sees a demon behind every bush. That's fine. I've been called worse, and um, it's not true. But you, you can take that route. You can put your head in the sand and pretend like all things are as they have been. Um, the other part is you can recognize, or the other option is you can recognize that what I'm saying is true and you can panic. You can get really fearful. You can be like, oh no, what am I, what are we going to do? I'm a Christian and my culture doesn't like me anymore. And you can start becoming a victim. You can start hiding. You can try to straddle the fence and negotiate your Christianity and your desire to be connected in the culture. And you can go lukewarm. You'll end up ratcheting down your faith. In some level, you'll be walking in a sense of shame towards Christ and the gospel. Because when confronted, and you will be confronted, um, you will, you'll dilute your allegiance to Jesus in order to be accepted by the fallen components of our culture. And you can do that if you choose to. Um, it'll come with deep regrets at some point in the future. But you could do that. Um, or you can become just so incredibly fearful that um, you panic and you don't know what to do because your Christianity Christianity is going to start costing you something. And then the third way, and this is the option that I'm saying yes to wholeheartedly, is, and I don't want to sound arrogant or callous, but it's basically an attitude that says, yeah, it's biblical prophecy that in the last days there would be a great sense of resistance, opposition, and persecution to biblical Christianity culminating during the tribulation with massive martyrdom, Christians being beheaded and crucified, and that's all going to take place. Therefore, since we know it's prophetically unavoidable because the Bible has already told us this is going to happen, 
we can, in this response, prepare ourselves. We can actually start getting prepared. You can actually start removing yourself from the systems that influence the culture, dominate the culture, dictate the culture, and you can start you know, opting out of those things. And you can start preparing yourself now in relative days of ease that you're in this thing for real. You're actually a Jesus follower. It's not your side gig on Sundays. That you're actually going to live for him unapologetically, in love, with the gospel, seeking to win the lost, seeking to edify the church, and you, you've you just got your mind made up. And so I don't want to sound arrogant, but you can, in a sense, live with a, oh yeah, bring it on. Here we go. It's on. Now, I don't know how you feel about that kind of expression, but ultimately, you're going to have to decide. You're going to have to decide if this is real for you or not. And it's going to cost you something. Apologies ahead of time to all the false prophets that might be tuning in or those influenced by false prophets who literally are telling um, Christians that, man, if it's not pleasing, if it's not good, if it's not optimistic, if it's not cheerful, then it can't be of God. Well, let me just tell you, that is a damnable heresy. And I want you to know, if you're listening to prophets and preachers and teachers that are still clinging to the golden age, um, you're going to be in big trouble. And so here on Mavericks and Misfits, um, we, we just like to go for it and just be like, hey, guys, this is reality. This is true. This is where we are. This is where the culture is. And since we aren't in control of the external circumstances, we better welcome Jesus to take control of our internal circumstance, our internal atmosphere, and start deciding who we are and how we're going to live out these next several years. Because it's coming. Revival is coming, but the revival that is coming is going to take place in a context of purging, purifying, and being persecuted. Hear me on that. God is purging. God is purifying and God is going to allow persecution to be the means by which we are purified. And, um, that's not going to be avoidable. So welcome to Mavericks and Misfits today. Pretty heavy intro there for the first eight or nine minutes. But, um, I, I want to help prepare all of us in this. Hold on. I need a sip of coffee. I want to help prepare us. And one of my passions is reformation of local church. A lot of people just see the flaws in the local church and they bail. And it doesn't take 15 spiritual gifts to walk away from church. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm compassionate towards people that have church wounds. But let me just let you in on a secret. If you've made church, local church, doing life together, koinonia, community, belonging to a local assembly, if you've made that, your priority because you see in scripture it was priority then everybody that's done that and stuck to it has church wounds you you know listen to me you're not that original you're not that special that you're the only one that's got church wounds we all have them and so it doesn't take you know an abundance of spiritual depth to walk away from the church anybody can do that but what what takes in a whole lot of holy spirit tenacity and christ likeness in the heart 
is to bear with the local church of which you are a part. You're both part of the solution and you, you can be and have been probably at times, at least in moments, part of the problem because none of us are, you know, completely sanctified yet. And so, um, when we're thinking about local church, I'm like, don't walk away, help us reform it. Like rather than walking away, can you not press in and find enough of personal intimacy with Jesus Christ to follow him back into a deeply flawed church and say, Lord, use me. I'm in it for the long haul. Help me be an agent of change and spiritual transformation in a local church rather than saying, hmm, you guys have hurt me, disappointed me. This isn't what it was designed to be. Uh, We're not first century and, you know, just all the stuff. And um, so I'm going to take my ball. I'm going to go home and I'm going to I'm going to take the high road. I'm going to say, look at me. I am so deeply spiritual that I now have said I am above these flawed Christians and I'm walking away. Now, that, that sounds a little sarcastic, maybe, but I, I really do think it encompasses some people's mindsets that they, they literally believe they're so spiritual that they're more spiritual than Jesus. Because I, newsflash, Jesus hasn't walked away from the church. Jesus hasn't abandoned the church. Jesus, even in the Revelation chapter two and three, is telling the churches what's wrong with them. But in doing so, he's saying, but I'm here to help. And modern-day Christians have said, yeah, we, we don't need to do that. We just need to walk away. Let me tell you what we actually need to do. And I want to read you a passage of Scripture that I think, in a way, prophetically encompasses uh, what I want to share with you. We need to recover what's been lost. And this is not about nostalgia. This is not about sentimentalism. This is not about the good old days and the old paths and the glory days and all of that. No, this is the work of reformation. The work of reformation is to look in scripture and understand what are the priorities of God for the people of God. And then when you see a departure from that in the present day, you work to restore what's been forfeited. You work to bring back what has been left behind. You, you work and you live and you pray and you fast And you suffer long in patience and endurance to repair what is broken. That is the work of reformation. And I just want to tell you, it is not for sissies. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for snowflakes. It's not for the squeamish. It's not for the people who have, you know, vulcanized spines instead of steel spines. They don't, listen, you cannot become nor help others to become the people of full identity in Christ if you are wishy-washy or wimpy. You know, this is not a brave heart moment. I'm not over here with war paint on my face, beating my chest. I'm literally sitting in front of a microphone, drinking some sadly decaffeinated coffee. But the, 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 the thrust that I feel from the spirit is that there's a lot of people who have become critics And they find, they look for reasons to walk away from their churches. Instead of being like Jesus, who washed the feet of uh, Judas. I mean, there's an emblem for you. Jesus washed the feet of Judas, who he knew was about to walk out on those feet and betray him. 
And yet we don't like certain things in our churches, so we walk away. And that's not Jesus. It's not. I don't care what you wrap it in. Doctrinal error. If there is untruth, lies, and deception being taught, and that is foundational to a church, you likely have a reason to walk away and to engage with a church that isn't preaching error. I'm not talking about people who feel led of the Lord to move to a different local assembly because of legitimate biblical reasons. I'm talking about people who leave an assembly because they got their feelings hurt or their pet peeves didn't get stroked by the leadership and they end up walking away from church altogether. What do we need to do? We need to recover the axe. Some of you immediately, when I said recover the axe, you know what passage of scripture I'm talking about. Talking about 2 Kings chapter number 6, an occasion in the life of the prophet Elisha. Hold on, a sip of decaf is calling my name. And in the life of Elisha, he was pouring into a school of prophets. There were a bunch of prophets in training all during the days of the life of Elijah and Elisha. And we don't know a whole lot about them, but we just know they exist, that there were prophets that were being trained. They were prophetic people that were like literally growing in their gift and in their calling. And they would come together for training by more experienced and more established prophets such as Elisha. Now in second Kings six, let me read you just about seven or eight verses. And then I want to talk to you in the remaining amount of my time, um, about what it means to recover and how important it is that you and I in our churches, and especially if you're a leader in a church, you need to hear me on this. This is part of your responsibility. It's not all of your responsibility, but it's part of it because churches are holding on desperately to old wineskins that God is saying, I'm not going to ever fill that old wineskin again. And churches, I see them all across the land, just in a prophetic mental picture, churches, thousands Tens of thousands of American leaders are holding up dead, dry, brittle wineskins that are empty and have been for a while. And they're saying, God, this is what I've got. Fill it up. Give me your best wine in this wineskin. I love this wineskin. We have crafted this wineskin. We've seen this wineskin work in the past. And I need some new wine to fill it. And God is saying, no, I'm not going to do that. You need a new wineskin. Because what God is going to pour out cannot ever again be fit into an old paradigm and an old approach to kingdom ministry. It's not going to work. And as to the degree that we keep holding up our wineskins to that same length of time, we will not be able to experience in those churches revival, breakthrough, and the power of the kingdom coming while the kingdom of the earth, while the kingdom of the enemy, while the do- domain of darkness is clearly united, aggressive, and advancing. Hashtag Grammys 2023 with the Sam Smith debacle. And the church is just saying, well, they, these people need to stop doing what they're doing. This is insulting and offensive to us. And we demand that you guys quit doing that because we want this to be a Christian nation. And you're negotiating with people that don't even acknowledge your existence. And you're waiting for them to stop doing what they're doing so that you can go back to doing what you were doing. And it's not going to happen. So the church has got, got to get reacquainted with a spine 
and we have to recover some things. So second, uh, second Kings chapter six, just listen to these handful of verses. It says, now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha and Elisha is the prophet of Israel at that time. He's the dude. And this is what they said to him. Look, the place where we dwell under your charge is too small for us. Let us go to the Jordan and each of us there get a log and let us make a place for us to dwell there. So they're saying, hey, Elisha, the, the dorm, the place where all of us as the sons of the prophets have been staying, we've outgrown it. There's more prophets than there is square footage. So we need to build a new place. So can we go down to the Jordan? We're going to get some wood and we're going to build us a new place. And so Elisha answers in verse two, go, go for it, dudes. Go for it, my students. Go for it, sons of the prophets. And so in verse number three, one of them said to Elisha, be pleased to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So Elisha's going to go with them on this building project to build a new living place for all of these prophets as they're being trained. And so verse four says in second Kings six, Elisha went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down the trees. But here we go. As one was felling a log, that just means as one was cutting down a tree, his ax head fell into the water and he cries out, my master, alas, my ax was borrowed. Then Elisha, the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, Elisha cut off a stick, threw it in the water, and it made the iron float. And he said, take it up. And the student reached out his hand and took it. That is a interesting passage of scripture. Um, it's in the Bible for a reason. Let me just remind you of something. In the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture, what we understand is every single part of the Bible God wanted to be preserved for all generations to represent some part of his heart. <laughs> I, I, I believe that doctrine, but I wrestle with it when I'm reading the genealogies and I'm reading the long list of so-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so. And I have to reverence the reality that God wanted that preserved forever. The heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. And so we regard the word of God highly. And so when I'm reading 2 Kings 6, and I'm reading this passage about this uh, school of prophets, students wanting to build a new dormitory, we'll just call it that. And Elisha goes down with them. And as they're cutting down trees, one of the students cries out to the man of God, Elisha. He says, my ax fell into the, the pond or the Jordan. They're down, they're down there by the Jordan. So it's in the water. And, and he says, I don't have anything to work with now. So I want you to think about this. Uh, first of all, just go back in time with me. Like there's not an Ace Hardware. There's not a Home Depot. There's not anywhere that the prophet can just say, bummer, my ax flew into the water. Hey, you got $10, let me go. Like you have to find the iron. You have to pound the iron. You have to sharpen the iron. You have to fix the iron in a, uh, a shaft or a handle that you have to custom make to fit that iron accent in there. So very primitive tools. And so if you lose your ax when the job is cutting down trees, you're sunk. No pun intended. So his his through slippage, his ax flies out of his hand or the head comes off the handle. It lands in the Jordan River and they can't do any building. They can't do any work. Hold on. Sip of coffee. And so we have a dilemma. We have this issue. Something has been lost 
that has stopped the progress of the building. Something is submerged. Something sitting at the bottom of the Jordan River. And it is, at this point, by natural means, irretrievable. So let me talk about this for a moment. And I I want you to just kind of like vibe with me here for a minute. Okay, this is not exegetical historical teaching of 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. This is just kind of got a little bit of oil on it for me. And I think I can make, by permission of God, some application to where the church has dropped and lost her axe and it must be recovered. So the axe is a building tool. It's in the hand of one who's been authorized prophetically to build something for God. These prophets were consecrated, they were committed, they were learning, they were growing, and they were hardworking. It's the way the church is supposed to be, consecrated, committed, hardworking, disciplined, like all in. And in this passage, we see that that's the case with these prophets. They want to build something so they can continue learning, growing, and advancing in their call to prophetic ministry. And so they get the approval of the the prophetic voice, which is Elisha. Go, let's build. I'll go with you. I will accompany you. And if you will allow me this application, I think in what I'm teaching today, Elisha can be representative of the affirming presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when we want to build something for the Lord, when we see a need, when we've outgrown where we have been, We need a bigger space. We need advance. We need expansion. We must grow. And it speaks to me of Jesus's desire to advance his kingdom and to build his church, to deepen us, to expand our influence, to make a place for us to be together as we serve him. And so that acts just very simply foundationally was the tool for building. Now, the axe was lost, Uh, slippage. Maybe it wasn't held together. It wasn't put together properly. Maybe the more it was used, um, it wasn't maintained properly. And so with every swing, it became weaker and weaker. And eventually he, he goes back for a chop. And when he goes back, the axe head flies off behind him, lands in the Jordan River. But the point is, is that it was lost. What was used to build was lost. And I'll pause for a moment and say, the church has lost, in some sense, what God has ordained from the beginning that we are to build the church with. Where do we find that? Well, in part, you can go to Ephesians chapter number four, verses 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter number four, verses 11 and 12, teach what is commonly referred to as fivefold ministry. Now, I know you hear me talk about this quite a bit, and I also know that I'm not the only one talking about it. And many voices in the kingdom right now, speaking on behalf of the Lord, are speaking in unity, saying God has accelerated his demand that we return to apostolic fivefold ministry. And apostolic is just simply an umbrella term. But remember what it said in Ephesians 4, Verse 11, that Jesus gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Jesus gave them, not the charismatics, not the NAR, not some fringe, you know, Pentecostal weird paradigm. 
No, Jesus gave to the church leadership offices, five of them, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Why did Jesus do that? Well, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's the blueprint. There is no other blueprint. And I want to suggest to you very clearly, very confidently, that the axe that was placed in our hand as Christians in the first century to build the church, to build up the body of Christ, the axe, the sharpened blade, the tool by which God wanted to build his church was fivefold ministry. And let me let you on a big secret. He never changed his mind. God never changed his mind. Now, very quickly, historical context here. Most of the church abandoned apostles and prophets within two centuries of the early church. And then you had the Middle Ages. So literally from about 200 to maybe as late as 1600, nobody's talking about apostles and prophets. They're the dominance of Roman Catholicism, the church at Rome. It became more about bishops and popes. And then in the last couple of hundred years, there's been a slow migration back towards the role and the offices of apostles and prophets. Those were the two primary ones that are discarded. Here's the, here's the whole thing. Like, and I have to discipline myself because I can't go too far down this rabbit trail because I want to get back to Second Kings 6. But the interestingly, the primary two offices out of the five that were given to advance the church into new frontiers and new territories and to speak the heart of the Lord were the apostle and the prophet. Those were the two primary leadership offices in the early church. If you do a, just a word study, you're going to find out that the word pastor, which by the way, is the modern day, that's the guy who runs the church in the modern day. It's the pastor. But if you, if you study out the scriptures, you're going to find that um, pastors are rarely mentioned. If I'm not mistaken, three times, maybe two times, I think it's three times in the New Testament, you find the word pastor. You find apostles and prophets everywhere. Why? Because they were the predominant leaders. And then here we are, you know, some 1900 years later, and uh, people are still saying apostles and prophets have no place. The original 12 died, and then there are no more apostles. And prophets died when the canon of scripture was complete because we don't need the prophetic word. We have a more sure word and they misapply that teaching in Hebrews and they just say, we don't need prophets. We don't need apostles. God's moved on and now it's pastors, evangelists, and teachers. Except the Bible nowhere says that. The Bible nowhere says that. We lost our ax head. Where is the ax head? Well, just like in second Kings chapter number six, the axe head has been submerged. It's in the dark, murky depths of man's religious tradition, sitting unused at the bottom of a spiritual Jordan River where we cannot recover it on our own. When that young man came to Elisha, he was distraught. He grieved it. He mourned over the loss of the tool that he had been given to build with. And church, I want to tell you, until we mourn, until we weep, until we come to the place where we 
humbly and truthfully, painfully acknowledge the lack of power, the lack of influence, the lack of glory for God in the church and our local churches until we mourn over that will keep swinging and handle that has no sharpened axe head on it. We'll keep trying to build without the tool that God gave us to build with. We'll keep trying to prop it up with money and programs and stage shows and lights. We'll keep bringing techniques and listen, uh, I do believe there was a time where God in his mercy and his grace allowed those things to be blessed because it was the only offering we were bringing to him. We didn't know any better. Most of us were trained under a paradigm where apostles and prophets weren't even being talked about because we had relegated it to a faded out component of church history. And now the Lord's saying, mourn. Look at the lack of power. Look at the lack of unity. Look at cities and regions, states, and even countries that have no power of God. Where did the power go? Well, let me tell you, it flew off the handle, landed in the Jordan River of man's tradition, and it's just been sitting there. But when you mourn over the loss, you have a next step. You do what the young prophet boy did. He comes to Elisha and he says, Master I can't do anything about it. I've lost it. I need you to help us. What does the church need to do? We need to go not to Elisha. We need to go to the one whom Elisha could represent in this passage. We need to go to the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the head of the church, the master. And we need to say, Lord, in all of our building and all of our work and all of our attempts, sincere though they were, God, we have lost the sharpened edge by which you determined we would build your church. And Lord, we can't retrieve it on our own. We need help. Elisha hears that young man say that. And Elisha does something very supernatural. Very, quite frankly, to the natural mind, unreasonable. To make the axe head come to him, he throws in a piece of wood. And when he does, the iron axe head floats up from the bottom of the Jordan River. The student sees it, grabs it, and guess what he gets to do? He gets to get back to work. He goes back to work. He rejoices in the miracle. He has been handed again what he had fumbled and lost. And now the building can continue. The work can continue. The advance can continue. And friends, we are at a place and I'm, I'm one among many. I'm not the only one. I don't have any like special, unique, preserved, holy insight that's not available to anybody else. But I'm, I'm telling you because you tuned in today, I'm telling you that the Lord is handing back to the church the previously submerged, sharpened blade of fivefold ministry and saying, this is what I want you to work with. Build my church. Jesus Christ is saying, I'm the one who gave the apostles. I'm the one who gave the prophets. I'm the one who ordained the evangelist shepherds and teachers, all five working together, not three out of the five, not two out of the five, all five working together to build the church. Why? What's, what's, what's at stake? Jeff, do we have to do it that way? Well, let me just ask the question in a different way. Do we have to do it God's way? Not do we have to do fivefold. Do we have to do it God's way? And if your answer is no, my friend, repent in the name of Jesus Christ. 
If your answer is, well, that's too complicated. Well, then repent of your spiritual laziness, especially if you're a leader, because you're leading, you reproduce what you are, not what you say, what you are. And if you're literally shrugging, say, man, we've built this thing up. We've never done fivefold. We've never, I don't even know how, where to find an apostle. Is there a 1-800 rent an apostle? And because of the difficulty of it, because of the, the, the mourning over the failed old wineskin that people are still holding up before God and demanding new wine, that the laziness is that now, nah, man, we can't do that. We can't change everything we do. Okay, well, I'm just going to be bold here. What are you going to do when God in six months, nine months, two years, five years is still saying, I'm not going to pour out the new wine. Stop praying and asking me for it. Stop holding your prayer meetings. Stop calling out to me, asking me to do what I've already told you I'm not going to do. If you refuse to recover the axe head and let me bring it back to you, and you insist on building with an axe handle that has no sharpened blade, you better expect lack of progress and a whole lot of hard work with very little results. And so he's handing us this sharpened blade back because it was his idea. It was his idea. So as I close out today... This is about 99% exhortation to you today. What do you do if you're a leader? You're going to have to make some very hard decisions. Because if it's your empire, if it's your church, if it's your ministry, you'll probably just keep doing what you've been doing. You probably won't even get before the Lord and say, hey, what do I need to do about this? you'll probably just blow it off as a little bit impractical and you'll come to a place where you just say, nah, we're just going to keep doing what we're doing because we see a few souls saved. You know, some people are getting discipled. We're supporting missions globally. We pray, we sing, our church is filled. We're raising some good money. It's pretty good, Jeff. I don't know if I need that thing you're talking about. Okay. Well, that's the way that we've been doing things for a long time. And let me just ask you, is it going to be sufficient for what is coming? Because I can tell you this, the other side of the aisle, the opposition, the enemy, the wicked, they are absolutely committed and they'll do whatever it takes. They are cutthroat and they'll do whatever it takes to advance and establish their hellish agenda. And we're still wanting to play patty cake. We're still wanting to do things the way we've always done them because, after all, we're entitled to that. We are American Christians. I'm an American church leader, and this is the way we do things. Well, it's not going to work. Mark my words. It's not going to work. But for those of you that have a desire to step into this, it is one of the powerful moves of the Lord right now. He is doing it. He's reforming the church at an accelerated level. He's calling us to commit. If you're part of a church where there's no hope for that, you need to pray about what God would have you do because you're either in that church to be a reformer to help your leaders as you operate in humility and honesty. You ask questions. You give them chances to honor. You pray for your leaders that God would enlighten their eyes, that they would see, that they would have courage it's a very difficult thing for a pastor who's a true pastor. Let's just say uh, that, that, that you are pastored by somebody that has a true pastoral call, not apostolic, not prophetic. Maybe they're evangelistic or teaching or, or truly pastoral. It's very, very difficult 
for that person to say, you know what? I have a role in this thing, but I cannot call the shots anymore. We need apostolic covering. We need prophetic influence. We need the voice of the Lord, not just the accurate teaching of the scriptures. That's, that's unquestionable. We need the accurate teaching of scriptures, but we need to know what is the Lord saying and what is the Lord doing. And you typically don't hear that except for a prophetic voice or an apostolic voice. And so you've got to pray for your leaders. If God leads you to a place where there is no hope for you to be able to be a part of a congregation that is transitioning to this, not new paradigm, it's not new, it's the original. Like it's, it's not about doing something new. It's about returning to what the Lord ordained. And if you can't do that, you, you just need to pray and ask God what your next steps are. Cause ultimately when this thing gets turned up to a fever pitch, only churches that are in alignment with God's original design will survive. The rest of them will be enculturated. They will do whatever it takes to stay existing in the form that they're in. They will compromise. They will lose the uniqueness and the exclusivity of the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit will depart from those churches and they will become nothing. Oh, they may still exist. And a bunch of people may still go there. I'm quite confident there'll be a lot of apostate Christians that'll go there. But they won't have the touch of God on them because they're clinging to a dead wooden handle of man's determined tradition while the axe head that they were supposed to build with sits submerged and lost at the bottom of the Jordan River of tradition. All right, guys, my time is gone. I hope you'll tune in again. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. If you want more access to more teaching resources, I always point you to Transforming Truth. You can get the free Transforming Truth app wherever you um, get all your other apps. You can go to transformingtruth.org, the website transformingtruth.org. There's our long videos there. There's 30-minute videos there. Uh, all my social media links are there. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Word Spirit Guy, Word Spirit Guy on Twitter. And um, check out the Tra Transforming Truth Facebook page. Like it. Follow us there. I post stuff regularly during the day. And uh, listen, find your axe head. It's been sitting at the bottom of the, of the river a long time. And the Lord's calling you. Get that thing. It's sharp, two-edged. <laughs> it is the word of the Lord. And he's ready for us to build. We'll talk to you next time. Have you picked up a copy of Jeff's book, Figuring It Out As I Go? His life story of abandonment as a child, an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager, and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges, which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at jefflyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.